Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Visit thesufferingpodcast.com for complete details. Please subscribe and like to get our latest episodes as soon as they drop. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for exclusive content. Please comment. We may read your comments on future shows or even reach out to you for a future guest appearance. Let's embrace how suffering forges bonds that last forever, showing we are never alone. So get so ready, get ready, sit down, sit down, and strap it, strap it. Sit your ass down, down. Sit your ass down, down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start to pay the pain. Sit your ass down, down. Sit your ass down, down. Strap it, strap it. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. Dented Development Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to assist first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Help us support the ones who take care of us selflessly. Dented things can still operate, but may not be as pretty as they once were. Make a difference and go to DentedDevelopmentProject.com to get involved today. Our heroes need our help. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. When you become an ambassador of pain and a curator of suffering, a bond is created where the playing field has been leveled. A comfort can be created and maintained, allowing for open and honest opinion collaboration and discussion on very difficult topics. Our trauma defines us and gives us unique perspective on a variety of issues that may be of value and touch lives. There must be a careful dance to impress the hard truth that what works for me may not work for you, even though we have been through something similar. Every situation is unique, and the vulnerability to express our pain can relate our opinions to others in a logical format to be understood. We impress with our strengths and success, but we connect to people through our weaknesses. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to go over the suffering of social media. Each week, we take questions from an audience member to give our perspectives on certain topics. Here are some questions that never were brought to the microphone. We, ha- we get all these questions in from people every single day. Some of them are, are off the wall. Like, some of them I can never put on the air. You know, it, it's funny, too, because we do, and thank God we do, we're getting a lot of social media questions from people, and we just can't get to all of them. We read them all. We read them all, but yeah, we, we just can't get to them. I mean, we only read one a show, and we get so many of them. And I try to make them topical to the guests, too. Like, if somebody if somebody puts in a question about firefighters, I'm not going to ask it to a cop. We got to sort of weed them out, but we do read them all. We read them all. We go through them, and, you know, we, we sit down and discuss, you know, what would be appropriate for that show. Thank God we're getting them. That means people are listening and people care. People are listening, people care, and don't forget, if you're listening, make sure you like and subscribe us. It does mean a lot to us. We do see it. Our podcast is growing beyond our control right now. Just a little update for everybody. We're looking to go on camera, which I don't know if it's going to be real good for us or not. Well, I know you have a date with the plastic surgeon before we go there <laughs> because you got to pretty yourself up a little bit, but you know. We both have worn makeup. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Katia Roman's trying to get me in to do the facial, and her idea of a facial is much different from my idea of a facial. <laughs> it's not a red tube facial. <laughs> no. <laughs> Women and men have vastly different definitions of that one. You know, when she said, you know, I can give you a facial, and totally turn you know, Oh, yeah. But like, like, well, that, I, you that, know, no. it's not my thing. I thought I was supposed to give you a facial. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, normally at this time we take a message, we take a question from one of our audience members, but this whole episode is going to be our audience. Our audience wrote our outline today. But you know what, Kev? One thing, I, I do see an empty seat here. Well, the first message was going to be from Kara from North Arlington saying that, why is my husband Bobby such a vagina? <laughs> <laughs> and he proved it today. He didn't show up. Yes, he didn't show up. So we were supposed to have Bobby Crudell back in to go over this. And Mike and I are toiling over it because it's going to go off the rails and it's going to somehow get to anal. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, a not, fake. not in the studio. Not in the studio. Verbal, you know. So Kara is Bobby's wife. And as much as we wanted to get a question, but Bobby couldn't make it in because Kara, she's sick and Bobby doesn't want to infect everybody else. He already infects everybody else with his personality. I mean, that's another show idea. You know, we could bring Kara in one day, the oh. suffering of living with Bobby. Oh man, that's a, that might be a three-parter. <laughs> if she's get a month worth out of that. You know, there's always two sides to every story on everything. The fact that, She's married to him and he's married to her. I don't know her, but there's got to be something maybe a little bit off about her. She's got a reserved seat right next to God. <laughs> for staying with Bobby for so long, she's just going to go right to heaven. You know, God forbid the day she passes, God's going to say, Garrett, right here. You're good. You're good. You've done your, you've done your time. You've done your time. St. Peter's going to meet her at the Pearly Gates and high five her. <laughs> Carrie, you did a great job. We put together, uh, looks like about 16 questions. So we're going to run through these. Let's get to the first one. First question comes from Ben. Ben writes, in today's changing climate, how can first responders stay positive and keep a proactive mindset? That's a good question because you see so much and it's tough to stay positive. You don't want to carry it with you. You know what it is? I, I think first responders in general are just a strange breed. You have to be dedicated. I always said it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. If you get into law enforcement or you become a fireman or an EMT, you have to love that job. You have to get in it for the love of the job. You can't just take it for a job. If you consider it a job, it becomes a job. If you consider a lifestyle, like I said, in my 20 years, I never considered it work. When I first took the job, I took it as it was a great job, good pension, good pay, all that above. When I got into the job, I realized very quickly, and this is just police work we're talking about. We have no perspective on firefighters, EMS, and corrections or anything like that. Quickly, I learned when I got into the job that this was a purpose. And that's, that's what always kept me positive. This was a purpose. That next call is the call where you could change somebody's life. See, I mean, you said something there too. When you got into the job, it's when the job gets into you. That's a good point because the job did infect me. Yeah, it does. It gets into you. It gets into your blood and you become a cop. That, that is your identity. That's what you're, once you realize what it's all about, and if you're really dedicated to it, it becomes your life. You know, that first time you're standing over top of somebody that's in need of medical attention. You know, we, we went on hundreds of medical calls. And they're looking up at you saying with their eyes, they can't talk, saying, please save me. And you're able to help them or give them a little bit of peace or a little bit of confidence in that they're going to make it. If that doesn't infect your heart, maybe it's time to get out of the job. I used to tell all the younger guys, when someone calls 911... That's the most important thing going on in their life. Make sure you show them it's the most important thing in your life now, too. They're going to relate to you if you do that. If you show up there, and we've seen this with old grizzled veterans. Absolutely. Where they show up like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. They totally disconnect from whoever they're trying to help. And then I never got there. Thankfully, yeah, I never got, maybe absolutely. I wasn't on the job long enough where I became apathetic. I think apathy is... The worst thing in the world of first responders, because I see it so much where they just get disgusted with the job. And that when that comes, I think it's time to leave. It's time to leave, without a doubt. You know, somebody else told me something. When you think that this, whatever place you work, whether it's first responder or corporate or wherever, that the place can't survive without you, that's the time where it's time to go. Yeah. Without, you know, there is never one time in my career where I dreaded going to work. I mean, there, there are certain times where I'm like, ah, oh, you know. <laughs> it's sunny out. I wish I could go to the beach, but it's not like I, I Maybe didn't, I Sunday didn't nights. You know, like I said, yeah. <laughs> Sunday nights were bad. Before I got into uh, law enforcement, I was working construction. I hated every minute. Every Sunday nights, I wanted to hang myself hmm. knowing I had to go to work Monday morning. There was a whole routine you get into. You know, the night before I started my, my first shift in, lay out my uniform, you know, 
shine my shoes and you know there was a whole routine that I, it became part of me you know it was it was my routine i think ben to answer your question it's to have that pride in your job that's what always kept me positive it's to have the pride I was a big uniform guy. I, my uniform was always squared away because that's the first thing people say in it. And tailored. Yeah. And tailored. Cut down the fit. And my shoes were always shined because if I show up and I look like my shoes were shined with a Hershey bar and my stuff looks like I slept in it, nobody's going to respect you. Nobody's going to see you as that, that figure that, that they ask for help from. Command presence. Command presence. You know, I couldn't think of the word. That's why I'm here. I'm, I help you out with that. <laughs> you know, command presence is a big part of law enforcement. You show up and you look, and I used to tell guys all the time too, if you go to a scene and you don't know what's going on, act like you know what's going on yeah. until someone gets there that knows what's going on. Right. When you show up also and you're apathetic, it also, it goes back onto the person that you're trying to Oh, help. without a doubt. It, it, it could ruin the whole, the whole situation, right. the whole scene or the whole incident. Well, Ben, thank you so much for bringing that in. That that's an important one to me because staying positive at any job is is why you're, you're there. Because if you show up and you're you're pissed off, and we're human, like we have thing other things going on in our life. Maybe you got into a fight with your wife or your girlfriend, or in case of Bobby, his boyfriend. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe you showed up and your your kid got in trouble at school, so you have that on your mind. You got to sort of separate yourself. From well, you that. know, cops aren't robots. We have personal issues going on in our own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, but you have to separate that. And you, like I said, you have to be at the top of your game at every call you go to. Because really, someone's life depends on what we do. Every day. Every day. Every, every call. Every call. You know, you, you go to a call that of someone that's depressed. Are they contemplating suicide? Mm-hmm. You know, if you go in disheveled, not caring, like I said, apathetic. We had a call one time. Guy was reported missing. And we found him in one of our local hotels. Guy was severely depressed. We go there and the guy said, I just want to end it. Nobody cares about me. And I said to the guy, someone cared enough to report you missing. It's just that one thing. And the guy's whole, his whole demeanor just changed. And he's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. That one pause. And that's what we're all looking for in life is that one pause when we get into our bad times. Ben, thanks so much. Uh, Let's get on to our next one. This one's more about the show. It says, which show has affected or changed your life? There's a lot of them for me, but I'm going to start with you. I'm going to say all of them. You know, all of them in different ways have affected me in in, in some respect. But I, I think one of the big ones for me would probably be Billy Bart. Billy Bart. He's just got a, He's got that attitude. You know, what he went through with the cancer from 9-11. And that's the suffering of a firefighter for those of you listening. What he went through and what he's still going through, to have such a positive attitude, when he walked out of here... I thought to myself, why am I such an asshole? <laughs> you know, I mean, I worry about the little things in life. Billy is, he, he grabbed cancer by the balls and just, and he said something that really blew me away. He goes, I wish everybody had my cancer experience. You know, one of the things I respect the most about Billy was he was there when Gene Halberger's son, Jimmy, took his life. He was there when they found him. Yep. I strongly believe, knowing Gene as well as I do, that had, and that's for the ultimate, for those, everybody listen, that's the ultimate suffering. If Billy was not there to take that command presence that we just spoke about, I am confident that Gene would not be here to carry on Jimmy's legacy. Billy took the reins that day. Right. And really walked Gene through everything. And, and like you said, he was the command presence. He was the one that took over that whole scene and comforted Gene and, you know, and waited till people arrive to provide assistance. I have a couple a couple of shows that really affected me. Believe it or not, the Michael Dowd episode, The Suffering of a Cop's Fall from Grace, that one really affected me because here was a guy that you and I looked at. We, we were a little sketchy about bringing him in. We wanted to hate him. We wanted to hate him. We didn't know how our audience was going to react to bringing in what he calls himself as a, as a rogue cop. I didn't know how to react to it. I didn't want to be offensive to him. He is a human being. Therefore, I didn't want to say, you're a scumbag, you're this, you're that. But when he started talking about the anxiety of what what was going on inside of his head. Where he's driving on the highway thinking, you know, I just speed up and maybe I'll hit one of the overpasses and just kill myself. That was where, in my mind, and, and listen, all of the episodes have affected me in one way or another, but that was the one where I started strongly gravitating towards second chances. We all go through bad things in our life. We all have difficult times. We all do horrible things. 
but there's always a second chance. There's always a shot at redemption. And it, maybe it didn't affect me emotionally, but it did change my perspective. Well, you know, we talk about all the time, you're not the only one going through it. You know, you're not alone. There are other cops out there that may have been doing what he's doing and could learn from him. You, now, Mike is is taking his former life and getting a message out there. One of the things that my, that affected me a lot when Mike said that every cop is one bad decision away from where he was. And I thought about it. I thought about it. And I think about it in my, in my current job, which is construction. You know, as a cop, I was never offered a bribe. I, I'm never once was I offered a bribe in my current job. I've been offered three of them and I'm held to the same standard as far as official misconduct. I can do five years in prison and stuff like that because I'm, I'm still a public employee. I've been offered three offhanded bribes. I had somebody offer me, offered to pay uh, a couple months of my car. I've had people offer me, um, when it was a washer and a dryer, you know, there's nothing for free. You know, they want something. Yes, grass for ass. Nothing's for free. Nobody rides for free. And at the time that I was offered this washer and dryer, my washer or my dryer just broke. It was, it was like perfect timing. And I'm thinking to myself, and I actually contemplate, be, on, be totally honest and totally transparent. I actually contemplate. I'm like, well, that's really nice of him. You know, he's got a, he's got he's an such extra, a nice guy. He's got an extra washer and dryer. No problem. And then when I, when I walked away from him, I said, you know, we'll talk. And then when I walked away from him, I go, holy shit. That's a fucking bribe. He just offered me a bribe. <laughs> so Mike, for, for all his faults, he owns it and he changed my perspective. Emotionally, again, I hate to keep preaching on this one, was there's two of them. Gene affected me emotionally because I think about that every single day. Gene, I was Alberta. just going to say that that affects me still today. I mean, if I think of it, whenever someone asks me what the podcast is about, I always, you know, tell them what we're doing. And- Besides episode nine. Well, I, I do. I do start off at episode nine, but thank God you brought that up. I always bring up Gene. You know, I said we're law enforcement based. We're mil. You know, we we talked a lot of law enforcement. We talked to military first responders. I said one of the one of the shows that affected me most was Gene. Yeah, because he lived through that and still living through and it. and still living through it and and doing very well for himself. I'm surprised you, that was a perfect segue to to mention episode nine. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. I'm going to give you a little bit of a chubby right now. So I did a show yesterday called Trend of Fire. And we had a very long, it was probably a 20-minute discussion on episode nine, on the genesis of this podcast, where it is today. And I and I think I even said it. I said, my my partner's just going to, he's going to build himself up so much his ego's going to not fit through the well, door. Well, you know, which leads to the next question that comes from um, from Bailey from North Arlington. <laughs> uh, Kev, when did your episode really start taking off? <laughs> hey, that, that last question came from Phil. And now we'll we'll take one from Maggie. Maggie says, "Did you ever take a job home with you?" A job means that's what that's what we a call, call. Yeah, a call. When we go on a call, we say, "Hey, when we're talking to each other, how did you react to this job, or what did you do on this job?" And you know, that's funny too because, like I said before, I never considered it a job, but that was common lingo. Correct. You know, oh, go take this job. Yeah. Hey, we got a job at this. We got a job <laughs> at that. Yeah. But it wasn't a job, you know, and, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because. But that's common vernacular in law enforcement, you know, go to this job, go to that job. And like I said, I never really considered it a job. But as far as taking it, taking the calls home with you, you have to. There's there's no way to separate yourself. No. I mean, you have to separate yourself, but there's no real formula for separating yourself. You're going to take your home life into your job. You get into an argument, your wife or something, you got to go to work. You're going to take your home life into into work. You're going to take your work life into home. It comes down to being able to empty the glass. I was able to do it in a 10 or 15 minute ride home where I was just able to decompress. Maybe I listened to some music, but still there are some calls that came home with me when I lost my first pediatric and I didn't have kids at the time, but I took that home with me. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to say anything. You know, that's not something that you, that's not dinner, dinner table conversation. When you, when you go home and your family says, how was your day? Oh, I was looking at somebody's intestines today. (laughs) Yeah, you know, how's that? And and the worst part is, and it took my wife a long time to get this. Don't pry too hard because if yeah. I don't want to talk about it, okay, you really want to hear it? All right, I saw a two year old that was blue. That was blue as these lights in the studio right now. And the parents are screaming, crying, and and relying on you to help. Unless you're you're not human, you can't take you can't not take that home with you. There were, it's it's all the way you deal with it though. 
Right. My outlet was like running. If I had a real bad day. Just go out for a run, clear your mind. Drop my uniform, put on my running stuff. I always had running stuff like laid out just because if I knew I had a bad day, drop my uniform, put my running stuff on, just go out for a run, clear my head. So that was your method of emptying the glass. Yep. All right. And at the time, I, I don't know, maybe it was the gym. Maybe it was when my kids were young, when they were really young and I was a new father, it was coming home and seeing their faces, seeing the joy. That That's it too. Like a hug from your kids. Yeah. You know, that, that really releases a lot of tension and. But the last thing you want to talk about when you get home is your work. But it's probably unhealthy. You know, maybe we gave our spouses and, and significant others a lot. We, we really didn't give them enough credit. Because maybe if we were to go home and talk about it, they would understand. Probably they'd stop asking us eventually. We you know, we talked about it all the time. I don't like the hero word. I, you know, we're paid to do that. You know, they, they say you get an award and it's above and beyond the call of duty. What's the call of duty for uh, a police officer? Your call of duty on every day ranges from bringing a life into the world, saving a life, possibly taking a life out of the world. There's no above and beyond that. I think the real heroes are the family because they yeah, have to put up with our shit. They, they're the wall that you got to break yourself up against. Yeah. But when I was a police officer, here's a little side story. Call of duty was a totally different word for me. <laughs> During really boring times, you're gonna do this is this is awful. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna do anything to make yourself laugh because you're going through stressful situations. And we talk about dark humor on here quite frequently. I would take pictures of my bathroom art. Okay, and the book was going to be called The Call of Duty. <laughs> Let's keep that PG. <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic idea when I when I told people about it they're like yeah that's really disgusting that's pretty gross i said but it'll sell it'll sell <laughs> it'll sell you know it, it's funny though on a, a similar note taking your your work home i had a friend of you mine. didn't take your duty home did you no i had a friend of mine not gonna mention names bobby no <laughs> he was married to a porn star i know who you're talking about and they wound up getting divorced and it's funny it's pretty well-known guy and i saw it in the New York Post one day, a little article in there that, like one of those page six articles or something, he's getting divorced from his wife because he's in a sexless marriage. And his and I, wife was the porn star. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't yeah, like yeah. B list porn star. It was a triple A oh, yeah. list porn star. Yeah. And I said to him one day, I said, "Sexless marriage." I said, "She doesn't bring her work home." <laughs> she fucks all day on camera. Last thing she wants to do is fuck you. <laughs> Especially him, because he's he's gross, man. Yeah. I know he is. He's gross. But uh, Maggie, thank you so much for sending that one in. On to the next one, and it comes from Logan. When I read this question, this was a really difficult question for me to answer. Do you feel that your life would be better off had you never suffered? You know, I'm going to say yes and no to that. You know, I could answer on both sides of that question. If we didn't go what we we went through. We wouldn't be the people we are today. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't. We definitely wouldn't be here. We and that's one. We'd never have this podcast if if we just went through our career and did our twenty five or thirty years. Obviously, we went through some suffering, but we wouldn't have this podcast. We wouldn't be able to reach people that we would never be able to reach before. Think about the lives you touched. Okay, and and there's one that comes up in particular: Charlie Cifarelli. The infamous Star of the Dogs, the suffering of Star of the Dog. We had him in here. He was, the Suffering Podcast was the first podcast he did about Star after Star's passing. Charlie saw us at the mental health retreat for, for Blue, Blue Magazine and contacted us, came in, we spoke, and we had a great interview. And Charlie has become this, he sits on our board of directors now, but he has become this really friend of the show, friend of us. I speak to him probably three or four times a week. Right now, out, he's out in California doing a bunch of shows, traveling all over the country, getting the word Posting out. Posting pictures of beaches and everything else. Oh, it's disgusting, yeah, isn't it? I talked to him yesterday. I'm like, how's, how's the City of Angels? Yeah. Because it's not the City of Angels anymore. But he's he's doing all this stuff to get this the positive city of message. angles. Yeah, it's angles. <laughs> but what our show did for him is it awakened something inside of him, something that was shut down. But see, again, if we just went through a regular career – and retired and just, you know, rode off into the sunset. We would have never met Mike Dowd, John which Elite. introduced us 
to Charlie Cifarelli. Right. Mike, we would think we, I would have never met Adam Bird, who's been one of the more influential people in my life. I would have never met Lee Rusan. I would have never met Pamela Viverito. I would have never met Eric, Eric Engelhart. Yeah. I've met all, and I have these, and there's countless other, countless others people. I'm not leaving you out for any purpose or anything. There's just, we're, we're up to like, this is, I think, 70 or 70 so. in the seventies. There's just too many to mention that I keep in contact with. Plus I've contacted other people and there's people that have become fans of the show who I speak with regularly. They gain a lot of hope for this. So had we not done what we did, gone through what we did, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I, after it happened, I would ask constantly, why did this happen to me? Now I, it's always I, the why me, you know, syndrome, but now I know why I know why, because this was a purpose. The suffering gave us purpose. So that's why I said yes and no, because yes, because it gave us this, it gave us the platform now to help people. No, because I don't want to go through suffering. It sucks. Anybody does. It sucked, but it's a necessary thing that you have to go through in your life in order to appreciate anything you have. Logan, that's a tough question to answer for me where I am now. I'm going to say I am thankful for that experience. A bad experience, believe it or not, as horrible as it was, going through suicidal tendencies, going through drinking, going through all the bad behavior that I exhibited, I wouldn't change it for the world because I needed it. Isn't it crazy to say that you're thankful for your suffering now? Yeah. Because because we embraced it. Because I ran towards the prairie fire. (laughs) I was was just going to say it. I was going to say, yo, a friend of mine once told me this prairie fire thing. 52 times. <laughs> Logan, thank you so much for sending that one in. All right, Kevin. Now I'm going to throw this one at you. This one comes from Ari. What's the worst injury you ever suffered while working? That's the brain injury of PTS. Okay. That's hands down because I've torn my, sh- I blew my shoulder out. I broke my wrist. I screwed up my knee. I've done a lot of like topical injuries, but the, the brain injury of PTS that's the one that seems to be resonating throughout my entire life. I'll never get rid of it. All I can do now is find ways to deal with it. That's a tough, tough question. It is. You know, my whole thing is there's, I could honestly say I've never really been injured on a job aside from mental injuries, but there's a difference between injury and hurt. I've been hurt on a job before. I mean, one, one call that comes to mind is we had a, Burglary in progress, residential burglary in progress. We flood the area. The guy jumps out the back of the back of the house and he starts hitting the streets. And so I climb up onto a garage, like a one level garage. And I'm standing there and I'm looking. The guy runs right in front of the garage, going from like yard to yard. Without thinking, I jumped off the garage, hit the ground, pretty much blew my back out and started chasing this guy down. We wound up catching the guy, but I wasn't injured. But I was hurt. I was hurt like a motherfucker. Well, the difference between in football, the difference between being injured and hurt, hurt you can still play, injured you injured can't. Injured you can't, yeah, right? exactly. So I've never really been injured where I lost time in work, but I've definitely been hurt. You know, day or two here, I think the longest I was out was when I blew out my shoulder. That was tough for several different reasons because I had to get surgery. Doctors put me on pain medication, which you become addicted to very, very quickly. I was just speaking to a, a retired NYPD, um, Adam Espo. And he was telling me that because of an injury, the doctor kept prescribing, prescribing. They say, take it as needed. And then the next thing you know, you're hooked. I guess it was an injury because I couldn't go back to work immediately. The after effects of that were far worse than the injury itself. But by far, the injury of PTS, because that's something I've never recovered from fully. All I learned how to do is use it. You know, it's funny going back to PTS. And we always say we're dropping a D because it's not a disorder. I saw something on the internet the other day. They called it post-traumatic stress damage. Yeah, but then it's still a D there. What's the point? Yeah, but now we could change it to damage. Damage. Because everybody says PTSD. Yeah, that's true. So we, we could take that disorder and just change it to damage now because it really is damage. It is damage and it's damage. <laughs> Brain damage. <laughs> now there's certain things out there that may actually heal PTS, which... I stay on top of constantly because that's that's something I'm really interested in. So, Ari, thank you so much for bringing that one in. Now, here's one from B, and it says, was there one particular guest that you were really looking forward to interviewing? And I'm not going to say Mike Felice. I was going to say that. <laughs> I'm going to interview myself one day <laughs> on different levels. Obviously, I've had a lot of friends in here, you know, like Richie Tuero, the suffering of a high school coach. 
It's amazing how we can reel these off on the top of our head. Yeah, no you kidding. Know, year and a half in, all these different episodes. Uh, Derek Taylor. Derek was a cool one. Derek was a really cool one. Eric Engelhart, who's, again, a very good friend of mine and my roommate. Lover. Yeah, well, no, Bobby Crudell's my lover. Oh, okay. That's another one I look forward to. Yeah, I mean, these were all friends of mine, and I know kind of what they went through, but to hear their story actually come out and them burying their souls in here, like I said, I've known Bobby Crudell my whole life. I didn't really know about his childhood and the things that he went through in his childhood. You get a different perspective on your own friends. But one one of the shows I was really looking forward to was, obviously we bring it up all the time, is Gene. But John Elite, that was intriguing to me. What about the psychic reading, which is a recent episode? So here's why I was looking forward to, to the psychic reading. Because when we come into these shows, we know, we have an outline. We know what we want to talk to the guest about. We do our research. But Heather actually ran that show. We just sort bared, of- We bared our souls to her and- but the question was, what shows were you looking forward to? Uh, no, I wasn't I looking, not for, looking forward to that. I was not looking forward to that because that was a, <laughs> although it was an unscripted show. It, yeah. it was really an unscripted show. And we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. We didn't know if, if we were going to get anything. It was a real crapshoot. And I don't like, it's not my nature to come into this show not knowing where we're going to go. I mean, we, we have a whole list of questions that we want to get to, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but it just gives us a guide of how the show is going to go. That day, like you said, it was just totally unscripted. It was just fly by the seat of your pants and... Let's see what happens. <laughs> That's and, and there's a lot that happened in that episode. For those of you who haven't listened, please go back and listen to it. Mike and I, there's some stuff comes out in that show that was scary. Scary. I've, I've listened to that show several times and it hurts every time I listen to it. It was a tough ride home for me. Yeah. And we talk, we talk usually about an hour after the show or half hour after the show. And we call each other up that day and we go, wow. <laughs> wow. I think I just put my head down and walked to my car. <laughs> Kev, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, no eye contact. <laughs> There's no, no eye contact after Bobby Crudeau was here. No eye contact no, at all. That, that, that's one of the, um, I think, the general rules of having Bobby around. You can't make eye contact. <laughs> the one that I was looking most forward to, you weren't, you were with the show. It was after episode nine. I wish you were here for this one. When I came face to face with the kid that I bullied in school, Jay Aponte, that was a healing for me. And, and we always talk about this being a giant therapy session. Jay, and that's episode somewhere in 12, 13, somewhere around there yeah, was the suffering the of a, teens. the bullied and Bullying, the, bullied, and the bullies. Bullied, yeah. That show, what I found out very quickly was less about Jay and more about me, which again, I, that wasn't the original intent of the show, but it was me getting all this stuff off my chest because he just looked at me and goes, Hey man, we were kids. I forgive you. But I know he carried it around. I met Jay, I think at the Hackensack Brewing. Yes. You know, obviously never knew him before. I think I was in the hospital when you did that show. Possibly. He's a cop too. So we got even more in common. But I, I mean, I give him the utmost respect for being able to, I don't want to say confront you, but he was so, oh, we were just, like he said, we were just kids. For him not to hold a grudge against you, listen, I know I was an asshole bully in, in, in high school, you know, because I was, I was a football player, the jock. And we always looked down on him. It, it's what kids do. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that hold grudges against me to this day. The thing for, for him to just come in here and be so receptive to you and because he's a great guy, yeah. And it's the thing about Jay and I is we we do talk occasionally, not as frequently as I'd like to, but we're we're friends now, and that's a thirty year friendship that I robbed myself of, and I, I kick myself in the ass every day. Like, why did you do that? You could have had a friend for life, and it's sad. It's sad to have that happen. How how did you just getting back to that that Jay Aponte show? Was that someone that stuck out to you from your childhood that you said, I have to reach out? It's not the only person you've bullied, but is that the person you've bullied the most and, oh, yeah. and felt bad about? Oh, yeah. And for 30 years, I look for him. And then when social, less than 30 years, because, well, no, that's not true. So I look for him for 30 years offhandedly in my 20s because social media wasn't around. And then when social media came around, his real name is Jesus Aponte. Do you know how many Jesus Apontes there are? There's like 50 million of them on Facebook. I couldn't, and I went through all of them until I found, hey, did you, did you grow up in Epsican? Did you, you know, I went through all of them until I got a hit. And that's how I, how I searched for him until 
he came back and, and we talk about it on, on the show about what it was like for him to receive that from me. I changed my heart very quickly after that happened because when he left school, I never forgave myself for that. So you couldn't have put, I mean, that's, that's a good way of questioning it. Like, did you grow up in Obsequen? You couldn't just text him and say, did you hate Kevin Donaldson growing up? Well, there's very broad, (laughs) very broad. (laughs) We would have shows for the next year. (laughs) (laughs) So B, thanks so much for, for sending that question. And on to the next question. It comes from Monica. How do you come up with such interesting people and show ideas? So there's several different ways we do this. A lot of it is people we know, but it's friends of people we know. You know, a lot of it's by word of mouth, too. I mean, a little backstory. Me and Kevin talk every day. Mm -hmm. And we just bounce ideas off each other. Some of them are very inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without (laughs) that. You know, it's not for the faint of heart. No, no. We'd be canceled in a second if we... I mean, we do just bounce ideas off each other. You know, hey, what do you think about this? You know, what do you think about that? The other one, you know, we always wanted to get a little person on here. Correct. And we searched. We searched. Yeah. And just by happenstance, you went to a party and met Scott Scott Stevens. He was receptive to us and you called me like a little kid. We got him. We got him. We got a little person. He's willing to talk. There's more little people out there that are suffering like Scott did. Right. You know, and we weren't exploiting Scott. Right. We were just showing the suffering of what a little person goes through. And I'm sure there's little people that listened to that episode and got something from it and got maybe a a more positive outlook on life. It's not always so easy to get people in here to tell their deepest story. We've had people cancel out, get cold feet. And I understand it. I get it. It's not an easy thing. They're gung-ho in the beginning, and then next thing you know, they're they're calling you a couple days before the show. Hey, listen, I'm not going to be able to make it. I got this going on. I got this going on. It's probably got to be tough for them to say, hey, listen, I just, I'm not comfortable. The initial idea to them may sound good, but when it starts sinking in, they-, they Gets closer and closer and closer. You start getting that anxiety going, and, and hey, maybe I don't want to talk about it. So we, we've also had people come in from social media. Oh, yeah. You know, Pamela. Pamela. Pamela came in from social media. Uh, there's uh, Charlie came in from social media where they'll reach out to us. And we, like I said, we do read these things and we reach out to these people. I've spoken to some people where they're just not a fit. They're, they're just not a fit. You know, they stub their toe, it, it, not discounting what they're going through, but it's just, it's not for us. Yeah. The guy, the guy that listened to Derek's episode. I think I, he, think I think it's Rob. Yeah, he he was a fireman. I yes, think he's since moved to North Carolina. Yes, you know he reached out. I think he reached out to Derek a, a comment on Instagram or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, that's and Derek like that? and Derek Derek forwarded it to us. Yeah, a- again, so Derek it goes from Derek. Derek knows that this is this is our format. He brings it to us. Hey, this might be a guy for you. Yeah, this might, and we get that all the time. We get hey, this might be a guy you want to speak to. Well, you know what it is because we really are helping people <clears throat> out, and and people are getting some sort of relief from coming in here and burying their souls. You walk up those stairs, you feel a little lighter walking up. You come down those stairs, you feel very heavy. When you walk up the stairs, you feel a lot, a lot lighter. What we're doing is, and and the purpose of this is to help people. People are coming in here, seeing how we're helping them. And we've gotten so many show ideas from people. Hey, you know what? I think I got someone you want to talk to. Right. And there's, there's like our bookers. (laughs) <laughs> from from all different walks of life. They're like, hey, I got this person, I got this person. But I invite everybody who's listening, if you know somebody who has a story that may help other people, guarantee, yes, we'll put them on the show. They're going to help other people, but the, the first person they're going to help is themselves. It's themselves, exactly. And us. Yeah, well, this is a giant therapy session for us. Monica, thank you so much for that question. This is a good one. This is a really good one. It comes from Nancy. It says, who would you consider your mentor? In, in law enforcement, I think my mentor would be my, my former chief, Jim O'Connor, and another guy who was pretty much my best friend in law enforcement. He, he retired as our deputy chief, Pat Devlin. My chief, like I said, Chief O'Connor was, he just knew everything. You know, he knew everybody. He born and raised in Lyndhurst, loved the town of Lyndhurst, and knew everything. Everything about everybody. You know, we, we got a call. I was real young in my career in, in Lynnhurst. 
and we get a call of a working house fire. They give out the address. And it was like on a Saturday or Sunday morning. No chief is around then. Say the address was 123 Main Street. Here's the address of a working house fire, 123 Main Street. All of a sudden, the chief gets on the radio, and you hear his, his siren in the background, so you know he's responding to this. He goes, when you go in through the front door, if you go up the stairs, the door to the left, there's a handicapped lady up there. She's in a wheelchair. I mean, he just knew everything about everything. And I mean, that was, I mean, I took so much from that, that here's a chief of police that, first of all, knows the house they're talking about, knows who lives there, and knows that the lady up the stairs in the left bedroom is handicapped, and we had to get her out of there. There are people in your that, life. Just by that probably saved her life. There's people in your life that, that are put there for a reason. I firmly believe this. For me, it's real simple. There, and I don't think about job mentorship or I think about life mentorship, people who taught me how to be a better person. The first person in general that taught me how to be a better person, I talk about him frequently. It's my grandfather. He taught me what it is to be a man. And some of the lessons were hard-learned lessons. Some of the lessons... I try my best to adhere to. I don't. It's a it's a daily struggle. It's a daily practice. Some of the best lessons in life are your hard learned lessons. Yes. Well, that's if you learn more from failure than success. If if you picked up, we talk about it. it's this show. If if something ever came easy to you, then it's you're probably going to put it down. It's just boring at that point. You know, if you were a savant and able to pick up a guitar and just know how to play, it just made sense to you. You're, there's very little value in that. But if you had to work your ass off to be a decent guitarist, even if you're not the best. You're going to appreciate what you have and you're going to enjoy it. So that's what it all comes down to is in, enjoying everything. But mentorship is a, is a weird thing because there are, there are different types of mentorship throughout your life. Like uh, somebody like Adam Bird who mentors me on, on a certain path that I take now, I look at him and I, I gravitate towards what he says because it resonates with me. The lessons that I learned from my grandfather when I was younger, I didn't see them when I was that young, I see them now and I try to pass them down to my kids. So one day they could have that same epiphany like I had. Just getting back to that too. I was talking about law enforcement, my chief and my, my good friend, who's a deputy chief, Pat Devlin, Pat was the most squared away guy. I know, you know, he loved the job. He loved everything about it. Marine Corps, FBI national Academy. I mean, he was just the cop that you aspired to be because he loved the job. He cared about the job and he knew like I said, he he knew everything about it. So those two were my mentors in law enforcement. I, I I know it's cliche, but my mentors in life were my parents. You know, both of them were, you know, never went to college, hardworking, gave me everything that I had in life. You know, it wasn't an easy life, but I never wanted for anything. And I knew my parents busted their ass just to give me and my brother everything that we could have. I think I met your mother once. Or twice, but I've met your father several times. I give your father a lot of respect. I always do, and I because he should have punched you in the face when he saw you for how you treat me. There's a little fear. Yeah, there's okay. there's a little fear. But your father said something to me, and it it sticks in my head. I go up to him, and and we're talking. We were at the Grand Saloon for our dine and donate. I, Mr. Felice, Mr. Felice, Mr. Felice, and he goes, he looks at me, he goes, my name is Frank. And I said, not to me, it's not. It's Mr. Felice because he's earned that respect for me. I know what he's done. I know how he's taught you and your brother. I know a lot of different things about him, what he's done in his life, and he's earned his he's earned my respect. So, but like my grandfather earned my respect. It wasn't given freely. I think that's what a mentor does. It a mentor earns your respect. Well, respect is earned. You know, you yeah. just you can't just go out there and say respect me. We see you this know? with with brass all the time. They they get promoted because um, they're book smart. They're book smart, and they kiss I, ass. Knee pads, the whole nine yards. It doesn't matter. Bobby has stripes. We're just we're hammering on Bobby because Bobby was supposed to be here today, and we're, he's just he's the the punching bag today. So Bobby, tough shit. Well, you know, I mean, we we talked before about people who keep saying they want to come in, and as the day nears, they kind of pussy out. You know, and that, as a matter of fact, that was Bobby. Bobby said that about another guest who was supposed to come in and didn't come in. Oh, they're they're, they're not coming in. They're guaranteed they're not coming in. Well, Bobby, where are you today? Nancy, thanks so, so much for bringing so that. Now it's beat attention. on Bobby Day. Yeah, it's beat on Bobby today. So this one comes from Frank, not your brother Frank, a different Frank. Was there ever a time you thought of giving up your career or moving on to something else? As a police, I'm probably going to guess that is not the case. I never thought about giving it up. Maybe you know, moving? I did switch departments. You know, I started off at the sheriff's department. And, and listen, I loved it there. 
I got treated very well. I love the guys there. I love the, the purpose of the sheriff's department. But ultimately, it's a job, and you need to provide for your family. Yeah, that. And when I was with the, the sheriff's department, I mean, there's 70 municipalities in Bergen County. You know, I never had that hometown feel. I got into law enforcement to be that hometown cop driving down the street and the kids wave to you. And, you know, there's that nice cop, you know, and, and to interact with the, the community and especially the, the young kids. You know, I've said it here before. I mean, there are plenty of times driving down the street in a patrol car in uniform, see kids out throwing a football around, get out of the car, throw the football, play basketball with them for a little while. I didn't have that with the sheriff's department. So it's not that I, I wanted to quit the sheriff's department. I just wanted to leave for a job that I thought was better for me. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'm having this issue right now. To be successful in any career, the worst thing you can have is a plan B. But you also, you, with with me, I got a family. You know, I have a family to support. So I'm going to need certain financial stability in the background. So our podcast is growing. Our 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 public profiles are growing to the point where it's starting to bear fruit. And this is something that I really love because I believe it is a true purpose for both of us. At what point do I give up my day job in order to do this full time? Scary, isn't it? It's very scary. It's very, and I know people go through this type of stuff all the time. Because you, you have your day job, which is your, your solid income. Listen, we're not making money off this podcast. There's, there's a possibility that we can. Mm-hmm. It's one of the choices you have to make in life. You know, it's one of those do I jump? I want to say it's almost a dare. You know, do you do you give up that that solid income when you know every two weeks or whatever you're getting that check, you know the amount, to go into a podcast where we may make money? Maybe this week we'd make money. Maybe ne- next week we don't. It's like it's like there's a pot of gold on the other side of a, a ravine, and you might be able to ma- to make that leap to get to that pot of gold to get to that success. But there's also a chance that you're going to fall. And when you fall, you're going to fall hard. You may drown in that ravine. Correct. <laughs> you know, a pot of gold on the other side of the river. You're going to wade through that river. You may get to that pot of gold, but you may fall to the bottom of that river too. There was never a time as a police officer I ever thought of changing careers because that was something that I just found a lot of purpose in. But when that career ended, I sort of bounced around. I did a couple things because I didn't quite know where my purpose, my new purpose was. You have to reinvent yourself. That is, that was the scariest thing. So I didn't leave one career to go to another career. I started from scratch. Well, see, that's the other thing. You know, both of us have, have disability pensions. When you're in law enforcement, that's your life. That's your career. Now you get a disability pension. And the pension board tells you, you can't do anything law enforcement related. Right. So now you're stuck. It's almost like a smack in the face. It's something that you built up your whole, you know, your whole career became your identity, made connections throughout your career. And the guy's like, hey, when you retire, give me a call, you know, I'll give you a job. Yeah. I, I got that all the time with had, accident investigation. thousands of those. But now not only did the job get taken from us or the career get taken from us, future earnings got taken from us too. It's a it's a scary thing. Although, and a lot of people out there are going to look at, well, you got disability pensions. My disability pension is not enough for me to support my family. Yeah. It is not. It's enough to get by, maybe scrape by. No, nah, I wouldn't even be able to scrape by on it. It's not giving you any savings. And it's certainly not giving me any purpose. A career to me is something that gives me purpose. The money is secondary to the feeling I get. The feeling I get from doing this show is something that I wish I could do full-time because that, again, is my new purpose. This show is the closest that we can get to being in law enforcement. True. You know, True. because you're helping people in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this, this this show gives us true purpose now. And that was your purpose as a, a, in law enforcement is to help people. And with this show, we, we're, we're helping people. And that, like I said, that, that that's what keeps me connected to law enforcement. Well, here's a, here's a law enforcement question. Uh, that last question, Frank, thank you so much. But here's a law enforcement question. It comes from Don. Should police be held to a higher standard? Absolutely. That's what I'm, we took the job for. I'm a firm believer in that. Because law enforcement is supposed to be what's right in the world. People, they have to look up to law enforcement. You show up to a chaotic scene. How many people say, oh, good, the cops are here? How many people say, shit, the cops <laughs> are here? <laughs> but, you know, you, you show up to a medical call. And if people are running all over the place, you have to be held to that higher standard because you have to take control of the situation. When there's chaos in people's lives, 
you have to be that that bigger person. And the whole higher standard thing too is how you conduct yourself off duty. You know, you can't be in a bar pissed drunk, falling all over the place, and then, uh, look at that drunk cop, over Bobby, here. Bobby, For, former Bobby, former Bobby. But, but you, you, in, in the same, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. In the same breath, how many free cups of coffee did you get in your career? Well, we talked about a free cups of coffee cost us more than right. paying for the coffee because you'd always leave that tip. But and that goes back to bribes. Mm-hmm. Is it a bribe or are they paying for a service? Are they paying for a service? Which is against ethics. Something as simple as speeding. And we all, everybody across the nation speeds. I don't care what, who you are, whether you're, whether you're a ditch digger or whether you're a CEO. It doesn't matter. Everybody, everybody goes over the speed limit from time to time. Do you think that if a cop gets pulled over, and we used to have what's called professional courtesy. So you, you pull over another cop, they show you a badge, we would give them professional courtesy because you're not under any obligation to write a ticket. So you'd say, okay, slow it down a little bit, have a good day. Do you think that, that that should go away? Isn't there professional courtesy in every business? Usually. You're doc- – all right. Let's just I'm say- just playing devil's advocate. Oh, yeah, and I understand where you're going. But let's just say you're a plastic surgeon and you give people Botox shots or whatever they do. Now, you're the plastic surgeon and you need Botox or something like that. You're going to go to your plastic surgeon friend and he's going to – yeah, don't worry about it. I had a friend of mine who was a chiropractor and hurt his back. He can't adjust himself. He went to an, I refer, actually referred him to another chiropractor and he went and they became good friends and used to work on each other for free. Professional courtesy. But getting back to like the speeding thing and you get pulled over and you're a cop, is that held to a higher standard? Is that professional courtesy? We're enforcing the law. Is it against ethics? So here, here's one while I was working. Tinted windows. So tinted windows, in new, tinted front windows in New Jersey, unless you have a medical uh, a doctor's note for 20, 25%, 25% 25% or a, on the on the front windshield, there's an AS1 line that can't be below the AS1 line. I never had tinted windows on my side windows. I understand why police do it because some police go to work in their uniform and they don't want to be seen going into work. You don't want a criminal knowing what you drive. Then you become a target. However, it is illegal. It is hard and fast illegal in the state of New Jersey to have that happen. One car I had, I got tinted windows. I didn't like it because you can't see. That's the bottom line. You can't see. When I had that because I wanted to, I do have some sort of standards and ethics, I refused to write tinted window tickets. Because if I'm going to have that, how am I going to enforce that? I don't speak, when I'm driving in my car, I don't speak with the, the, the cell phone up to my ear because that, that always bothered me. And I try to hold hold myself to the same standards that I expect of other people. It's really hypocritical. Yes. You know? Nothing bothers me more when I'm driving down the street and I see a cop in a cop car with his phone up to you. I can't. It bothers the hell out of me. That's where the higher standard comes in. How, how are you going to enforce that law if you're doing the same thing yourself? But getting back to tinted windows. If you notice, a lot of police cars now, marked units, have tinted windows. Yes. Which I don't, I don't get. I don't understand. How could you go out and write a ticket to someone? For tinted windows, when you're in a police car that has tinted windows, or how many cops with expired inspection stickers, and because they know they're going to get that professional courtesy, it's wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. But we should be held to a higher standard. And I know this is going to piss a lot of people off. Well, hey, we don't have anything else. Well, there's other jobs out there. And I, if you really do love this job and you practice what you preach, then we all should be held to the same standard, because then everything's fair and equal especially these days with police perspective. Because there was another question on here, and it comes from Tommy, and it says, you know, how do we change the public perspective of police? And it kind of piggybacks on this question. We change the public perspective of police by expecting the same things. This goes both ways. I expect of you what I expect of myself and vice versa. If you expect us not to speed, then you better not speed. You better not speed, exactly. So it goes both ways. Like, I mean, that that's a good way of changing the public perspective, you know, it's not a do as I say, do as I say, not as I do. If you're a cop, you shouldn't be speeding. And then you're speeding, you're speeding to work to get there on time. Then you go out and you pull a guy over for speeding. Right. Really kind of hypocritical. Totally hypocritical. And that that's one way that we could change the the public perspective of police is hold yourself to a higher standard. Do what's right. Like I said, don't be that cop that's out there fall down drunk. 
You you go into a bar and you see a construction guy and he's fall down drunk. You say, look at a construction guy. You see a cop sitting in the bar, hanging off the stool, drunk off his ass. They're going to be like, look at that fucking cop. Right. Yeah, and they're going to go bust me for DUI yeah. next week. But remember this. So with the professional courtesy, there there's a method to doing it where I was taught you be extraordinarily respectful. You hold your you hold your badge open, your ID, or you hand your ID with your license. There's there's a way to do it. How many times did you get this badge out yeah, the window? Badge out the window. Badge out the window. Which I always found very disrespectful. Or there was a couple you go up to and they're jerks. They're like, "Why are you pulling me over for? I ain't doing it." Like, calm down, bro. Calm down. You know, you're you're probably not going to get a ticket, but if you, I'll write one, I will do it. But that always bothered me with when the the arrogance of expecting it. I never expected professional courtesy. I was hoping for it. That's the higher standard. If you deserve the ticket and you got it, then you just got to take it. Right. You may motherfuck the guy as you're driving away. Yes. But there, there is that higher standard. I don't think we could totally change it. What's really got to change it is the fucking media. Yeah. The media, they put law enforcement in a bad light. Because it sells. It sells. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you're not going to buy a newspaper because it says hero cop did this right you're gonna buy a newspaper when the headline says cop arrested for dwi yeah it's media sensationalism whether it be clickbait on media or, or on social media or whatever that's what sells so they're always putting cops in a bad light like i said i've done so many things in my career whether it be cpr saves running into burning buildings nothing ever made the paper and i didn't want i didn't want to be in the paper i don't want the accolades or anything like that Step on your dick one time. That's going to be in a paper right away. Yeah. Well, there's there's a media outlet. I won't mention the name of it be, uh, for several different reasons, but there's a media outlet that I look at every day, and they're very pro police. But the minute, and they will highlight good jobs done by police. They will put them up there, but also because they're not hypocritical, they will also put bad jobs by police up there. Because again, they try to put that to hold those police into a higher standard and change that public perspective of police or profile of police. So Tommy, thank you so much, Mike, we are coming to the end of this thing. And I got one question that I've been sort of staying away from. It comes from Charlotte. I was going to say, it can't be politics. Well, it kind of, <laughs> that's where we're always going to stay away from. Yeah. That, so. Well, we're always, yeah. So don't send, don't even yeah. send in political. Listen, stuff. people have sent in political questions and we won't, even entertain them so until one of the sitting presidents come in here and sit down with us and like talk. i said we we almost had donald trump in here yeah but, but he, he, he wouldn't want to take, take his shoes, shoes off <laughs> we we've had offers some for some people who i really support in the political realm to come in here so one of the people is running for congress in a local district he is a friend of us he is a friend of law he's enforcement. He's a friend of the show. Also. He's a friend of the show. And he wanted to come in here. And, I, and as much as I want him in here, because I do love the man, I can't have him in here because then what are we, we're, we're going to discuss politics. And that's something that we try to stay away from. We, we saw him just the other day. Yeah, right. So Blue Magazine. This last question, I don't know how we're going to go about doing this. It says, how do you feel? And this is totally unpodcast related. It's how do you feel about transgenders competing in opposite gender athletics person who's transitioned from male to female in a female athletic and vice versa how do we answer this you know what i know how we answer this mike so one of our upcoming shows we have a somebody who is transitioned coming in from transitioning transitioning from male to female her name is ashley and she is transitioned into a female and she's a wonderful person she's an emt i'm going to save this question I'm going to save this question as a social media question when she comes in there because she's going to have a different, I know you and I have our own different perspectives on this for different reasons. She may open our eyes because listen, our, we, we came in quite a few shows where we maybe didn't necessarily agree like the, the medicinal marijuana. Yeah. Diana turned us around. Right. What about Katia? With the immigration. The, the immigration. Yeah. You know, I, I never thought of some of the things that she, she came out with. It's It's been a real great education that we've It had really here. has. And like I said, you know, listen, people may love us for doing it or may hate us for doing it. Everybody's got to realize that we're coming at it from a from a good heart. We're coming from a neutral perspective. Of right. It. You know, we're, we're just sitting here and laying it out. I mean, we have our, our thoughts and ideas on 
say illegal immigration, but to get their perspective, it really to see the, the, the struggle and the suffering that Katya and their family went through. You know, like I said, we we had. I don't want to keep bringing it up, but Mike, because his ego is going to go through the roof. But you have Mike Dowd, John Elite. I mean, that's Mike Dowd was pretty much against everything that we ever did in law enforcement. Principle wise, absolutely. But we went in there with an open mind. He owns up to it. Come on and tell your story. I think the biggest lesson that you and I have learned from doing this show is we're not married to our opinions. If you have a if you have a valid point or a valid opinion on something that's contrary to mine. I'll hear you out. I'll listen to it. And you may actually change my mind. In this country, and I hate to talk about the country as a whole, but in this country, there's a there's a mindset where this is what I believe, and no matter what anybody says, I'm right. Well, guess what? You may be right, but you may be wrong. Isn't that why the country's in the spots in now? Not bringing up politics, but you got one side that says we're right, the other side says we're right, and they can't meet in the middle. We don't know how to disagree anymore. You got this one last question from uh, Patrick. How the fuck do you deal with my father every week? <laughs> Mike, I'll go with that one. You, you can answer that one. Thank you very much, Patrick. And by the way, you're not getting ice cream. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Social Media with Mike and Kevin. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. It's not a job if you love it. Listen to everyone. Embrace your suffering. Don't be married to your opinion. But most importantly, and this is going to sound odd, we're all thankful for our suffering. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Social Media. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now on YouTube. Follow Mike on Instagram at dented underscore ace. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. Of course, follow at The Suffering Podcast. And we will see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast. <laughs>